So, it is Christmas time, and uh, we are taking a break from the Book of Romans. We'll be back in that in January. But we're doing a couple of things about Christmas. So, we've done this before. So, this test we're going to do is you actually did this before. So, you should get all of the answers. So, we're going to try it again. It's kind of how God gives us tests in, in our trials. If you flunk it, he's nice enough to give it to you again. <laughs> so uh, let's see what happens here. I thought I had a pen to mark us because we need to grade you against we need to grade you against the other services. So when Christmas was first celebrated, when was Christmas first celebrated? Now a, remember which ones, A, the year after Jesus was crucified, around the year 100, in the 4th century, in 1935, or when Hallmark began their card. <laughs> when was it first celebrated? Which one? 4th century. You would know that, Earl. Earl knows like all about history and stuff, so he would know that. So uh, here's number two. Where did the Christmas tree tradition originate? You didn't go through the things yet. <laughs> but Germany's correct. See, you're trying, to, you're trying to get up on the other service. I get it. I know how that works. Okay, so wait till you hear them. Okay. So um, why was December 25th chosen as Christmas Day? Because A, that's when Jesus was born, B, to compete with pagan celebrations, C, to close the schools in the winter to save on heating bills, <laughs> D, that's when Christmas trees are in season, or E, that's when the Bible says to celebrate it, to compete with pagan celebrations, that's right, so um, that day was uh, born again. Now, what... What day was Jesus born on? I promise you he was born on Christmas Day. <laughs> right? He was born on Christmas Day. What, what day was it? I don't know. When that was. Okay. So, um, what? I have no idea. It could have been. Good a day, good a day as any day. Um, who knows? <clears throat> what significance is holly in celebrating Christmas? Um, a, the pointed leaves represent the star of Bethlehem. B, it's mistaken for mistletoe. C, the red berries are a Christmas color. D, the early church banned mistletoe, so holly was substituted. That's it, yeah. The significance of holly in celebrating Christmas. It was D, the early church banned it. They banned it. So, um... Who was the first person, probably, to illuminate the Christmas tree with candles? A, Alexander the Great, Pope John I, Martin Luther, the founder of Yankee Candle, <laughs> or Pope Bob II? Martin Luther. Who said Martin Luther? Bill Pratt. That's good, Bill. Very good. All right. So celebrating Christmas was once against the law in A, Holland, B, Indiana, 
C, Massachusetts, or D, Japan? Massachusetts. The Puritans did not like Christmas. They, um, they banned it. So um, Christmas will soon be against the law in A, United States, B, Massachusetts, C, all of the above, D, none of the above. <laughs> Who knows? We are looking in Luke chapter 2. The Christmas account. Ready to try it? Luke chapter 2. And what we'll do is maybe have somebody stand up and read verses 1 through 3, and then we'll see what we can um, do with that. Someone want to read verses 1 through 3? Caesar Augustus is issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Berenius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. That was good. Berenius, you did that good. That's why I had somebody else read it, because I couldn't say his name. So um, <laughs> I figured if somebody's going to be embarrassed, it might as well be you. So, <laughs> so here's what we're, saying, what we're saying about this, is that this is a true story. This account that we're reading, Luke chapter 2, is a true story. It happened. This is the one that's read in Charlie Brown. Who, what's the, the kid's name that reads it? Linus. And he, he, he reads this in, in the Charlie Brown special. It's a true story. It really happened. And this gospel is written by Luke. Luke was a, was a physician who is a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. And Luke is very careful about detail. He likes the details. And here, he's giving us the, the time frame, and he gives it to us a few different ways, gives us the time frame of when Jesus was born. Now, unfortunately, he doesn't tell us the day so that we could settle this December 25th thing once and for all, but he gives us the time. And so, uh, it's a true story, really happened. It's one of the things I like about going to Israel with people as you go, and you go to these places, and you see it really happened. All of this happened in time, in place, in history. Um, and so Luke brings some specific periods. Like what? He says Caesar Augustus. It was during the time of Caesar Augustus. Well, we know when Caesar Augustus ruled because these guys were very interested in letting people know when they ruled. So we have good records of it. So he starts to rule about 27 BC when Caesar Augustus is ruling. He rules all the way for 41 years, all the way to 14 AD. So... Somewhere in that 40-year period, you know, which breaks for us B.C. And, um, and, and A.D., Jesus is born. So pretty close. Um, well, then he gives us some, some more information when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. Well, that narrows it down to a couple of years. So he's narrowing it down, showing us the time that this happened. And it also was, it says, in those days, it starts right there, in those days, what days? In the days of John the Baptist. When John the Baptist was coming, when John the Baptist was starting his ministry, that's, um, and, and, and when the angel appears to Mary, the angel appears to um, Elizabeth, thank you. 
<laughs> That's all good. <laughs> during, during that time. It happens at a time, if you look at these Quirinius and, and Caesar Augustus, it happens at a time when the Roman emperors think that they're gods. They think they're gods. That's why his name is Augustus, August, the inspiring one, the awe-inspiring one, the one that's, that's due admiration. If you would have come to this kid's play um, last night, it was a lot of fun because there was a kid who played the king, and he thought they were coming to worship him. When the wise men came, he was like, oh, my, you came to worship the king. And they were, yeah, but like a different king, you know, not, not you. The, these guys thought they were worthy of worship. They were worthy of reverence. Yet the Lord is going to show here, and Luke is going to show, that although these guys think that they're sovereign, although they think that they're ruling the world, God is still ruling the world. He rules the world. Right? So he rules. Not Caesar Augustus, but he does. And so... Um, God is going to show himself uh, sovereign over all power and authority by moving everyone, Joseph and Mary and everyone else, to fulfill a prophecy. He's going to move these guys to fulfill a prophecy. The whole world is going to move in order to fulfill the prophecy. So they think they rule the world, but God shows that even the kings are in his hand. I think we have a verse for that. So um, there it is. The king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He turns it wherever he pleases. It says in those days, there was the, the issuing of this decree, this census. And you know that everybody remembers when that census was, because why was there a census? Why did everyone have to go back to their hometown? What, what were the Caesars trying to do? What were they trying to accomplish? They were trying to count you, right? They were trying to count you. They wanted to know where you were, who you were, where you came from. Why did they want to know that? Taxes. Taxes. So there's some parallels here. There's some very interesting parallels to what was happening then and what was happening now. You have these guys who think that they're gods. They think that they rule the world. They think that they're all-powerful. Well, we have people today who think that they rule the world, who think that they're all-powerful. But God is doing something with and through these guys who are idolatrous, who people are worshiping them. God is still using them to accomplish his purposes. So maybe today, you know, people who are in similar positions, God is using them to accomplish his purposes. You know, these are, these are pagan kings in a pagan world. Um, Caesar Nero, we talked about this when we were in Peter, Caesar Nero kicked his wife's head in until she died. He loved the girl. He loved her. And, and he gets angry, and he kicks her head in and kills her. And so he found a young boy that looked like her and dressed him up, transitioned him from being a boy to, be, to looking like his wife, and then he married him. So um, here you are um, with Nero marrying this transitioned boy, and then he goes and he gets another boy and he's married to him, and he rides around in his chariot with, with the two of them. These guys are crazy. These guys are out of control with power. They're out of control with their lusts. They're out of control with everything. No different then than it was now. So Christmas, Christmas. Craziness, craziness. Um, and sometimes we think, oh, you know, look at the craziness. Everything's going to end. Look, Rome went on for 300 years after these guys. So... Um, 
The king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He turns it wherever he pleases. And the next thing that you find out with this census um, is, that, is that it happens It happens at a very hectic time of year. So why doesn't somebody read verses 4 through 8? From the town of Nazareth in Gal- uh, Galilee and Judea, or to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the yeah, Lord. Yeah, that's good enough. Okay. Yep. So you have this true story that happened in time, space, history. It happened in a crazy environment with crazy kings and crazy culture and crazy stuff going on. And here we are, uh, 2022, same thing, same, same. Christmas then, Christmas now. And so I think every year you're going through the story and seeing like, what are the parallels? Where are we at? We're at the same place. We're at the same place and Jesus is still coming and he's still coming to people. So it happens at this very, very hectic time of year. Can you imagine what it was like when everybody in the land had to go back to the place that they were born? Everybody had to. So on the roads, it was crazy. On the roads, it was insane. All kinds of stuff happening. Uh, Everybody's going back to their hometowns. Everything is getting hectic. Everybody's getting ready. You know what it's like if you're not uh, an experienced traveler, you know what it's like to get ready to go somewhere, how long it takes you (laughs) to pack up, get everybody ready, get this stuff ready, and then you're on the road and you're thinking, did we forget something? And well, it's, a, it's hectic. Traveling is, traveling is hectic. Traveling is crazy. And if you have to bring the kids, hopefully you don't get on the road and forget the kids. Getting everybody ready. There are people all over the roads at this time. Well, um, Christmas, Christmas. At Christmas time, people are all over the roads. There's travel all over the place. The People are at the airports there. People are missing flights. People are angry. People are crazy. People are at the train station. You know, the train's not coming in. The traffic everywhere. Just crazy. People all over the place. And what are they doing? When people are traveling on those planes and those trains, what are they doing? They're bringing gifts with them. And so don't you think that in the first century here, when these people are going back to their hometowns, they're probably bringing gifts, right? A lot of them haven't been there in a long time. A lot of them haven't been there probably in a generation. And now they have to go back. And so they're probably bringing some of the spices from the the area or maybe some of the fabric from the area that they live in, and they're going to bring them to their relatives. And and so people are buying and selling stuff. And don't you think that that time of year when they're buying and selling stuff, when they're buying material that's indigenous to their locality, don't you think that they're selling it to them real cheap? (laughs) Not at all. Prices are sky high. That's, that's, why, that's why my wife buys wrapping paper a year in advance. She buys it on December 26. Because you can pay $7.99 or you can pay 25 cents. 
<laughs> One day makes all the difference. So it's same, same. Just craziness on the roads, craziness with what's going on. People are buying and selling and money changing, hands everywhere. It's a very commercial time. People say, you know, well, Christmas, you know, it shouldn't be such a commercial time. Well, the first Christmas was very commercial. There was a lot of money being exchanged. There was a lot of people seeing a lot of opportunity with all of these people on these roads traveling. And probably new businesses were starting up and people were selling stuff all over the place. You couldn't find a hotel room anywhere. Anywhere. You go to mangers.com and nothing there. <laughs> All taken up. <laughs> so we continue to play out the drama, right? Christmas, 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 Christmas. And uh, verse 4 says, So Joseph went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the line of David. Well, that's pretty important that he belongs to the line of David his genealogy, because one of the prophecies about Jesus and one of the promises of God is God told Abraham that the Messiah would come from your family. And then he begins to narrow it out because Abraham has several kids and, and he, has, he has Isaac and he has Ishmael and God's like, no, it's going to be through Isaac. It's not going to be through Ishmael. And then after he has his other ones. And so he narrows it down to which son it's going to come through. And then 14 generations later, it ends up with David. And he says to David, you will never, ever cease to have a king on the throne. The king is going to come from your family. And people love King David. So when Jesus shows up and he's from the lineage, the line of David, and he's doing all these miracles and getting all of this following, they're like, this guy's, this guy's the king of Israel. This guy's the king of Israel. Finally, we're going to make Israel great again. Finally, it's going to be what it was one time. So we're going to do this all over again. And Jesus said, my kingdom's not that kind of kingdom. Whatever you're thinking about, it's not like that. It's not like that. So he comes from, he comes from the right family. Comes from the right family tree. Um, Joseph, his stepfather or adopted father, and Mary would both trace their lineage, Joseph back to Adam in Luke 3, and Mary back to Abraham in Matthew 1. And uh, what happens is that God said, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and all of the families of the earth will be blessed through you, through Abraham. So through Abraham's family tree, and then Abraham becomes the great, 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 great grandfather of David, I'll continue this everlasting covenant between us. This won't be something that comes and goes. It's everlasting. Generation after generation will continue between me and you uh, and, and your offspring forever. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. So God makes this promise to the Jewish people. And through the scriptures, God kept making the promise of the Messiah and his family coming from the tree of Abraham and from the tree of David. He comes from the right family. And he goes to Bethlehem. <clears throat> Whenever you see Beth, uh, in, in the Bible that means house. In, there used to be a synagogue in New London called Bethel, E-L. So Beth means house, El God, the house of God. This is the house of bread. So Jesus is born in the house of bread. He said, I'm the bread that's come from heaven, comes from David's family. The other interesting thing here is that um, this genealogy where it says, you know, uh, Mary's genealogy, Joseph's genealogy, what happened in the year 70 when the Jewish people rebelled against Rome 
in Jerusalem, Rome ended up burning down the city of Rome, and they, in all of the genealogies that people kept were gone. Burned, gone. They didn't make digital backups. They didn't put them on a thumb drive. And, you know, there are still municipalities that do things on paper. You can go into their office and everything's on paper. And so if those things weren't done, you'd lose all of the land records. You'd lose all of those things. And so uh, they no longer could trace their genealogies back. And Jesus is the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. He could have come and be the king. What it says in Samuel is that the Lord declares that he will build a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when I die, I'll raise up one of your descendants and I'll make him his kingdom strong forever and ever in everlasting covenant. The Lord swore to David his promise and he'll never take it back. I will place one of your descendants on the throne. So uh, the Lord swore to David a promise he would never take back. I will place one of your descendants on your throne. And for to us, here's the Christmas verse. To us, a a son is given. A child is born, a son is given. This is really a prophecy of the incarnation because it says a child, there's the humanity, it says the son, the son of God. And so you have the child in the flesh, you have the son, the son of God. And so for, to us, a child is born and a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders. Oh, I thought it was Caesar Augustus. No, God moves Caesar Augustus, moves the whole world. God moves the whole Roman world. Everybody in the Roman world moves so that he can fulfill one prophecy out of Micah. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. The government will rest on his shoulders, not Caesar Augustus. <clears throat> no, not Caesar Augustus. Same today. Where's the, who, who's, who, the government is resting on whose shoulders? On Jesus. I'm just confident in Jesus. These will be his royal titles. Now, depending on the Bible translation that you look at, there were no, the punctuation wasn't there originally, so the punctuation is put in there, and the punctuation is really an editor's remark telling you something. And so this editor tells you that his name would be Wonderful Counselor. If you look in the King James, the new King James, after Wonderful, there's a comma. So is his name Wonderful Counselor or is his name Wonderful? I think his name is Wonderful. Is his name Wonderful Counselor or is it Counselor? I think that it's Counselor. But I think he's a Wonderful Counselor. (laughs) And he doesn't charge you $110 for a 55-minute visit. He's the wonderful counselor. Is he mighty God or is he mighty in God? I think he's both, but he certainly is mighty God. Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. His ever-expanding peaceful government will never end. It will continue to grow forever. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David. The passionate commitment of the Lord Almighty will guarantee this. There he is. Jesus came through the right family tree at the right time, all of the prophecies being fulfilled. Not only was he born at the right time in the right family, he was born in the right place. But you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village in Judea. 
Yet the ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past or from everlasting to everlasting. The city of David. Uh, the city where David was, was anointed. Uh, when David was hiding in the cave of Adullam, three men brought him water from Bethlehem. Jesus is appropriately named the bread of life. I am the bread of life. You, O Bethlehem. So, um, First noted in Scripture, Bethlehem is the place where Rachel was buried. Today there's a church there, been there since about the year 300, that's known as Manger Square, and they say that that's where Jesus was born, but uh, probably not. Um, you can go today to Bethlehem and visit the fields if you want. So um, let's read on. <clears throat> there's, this, there's a picture of uh, Bethlehem. Why doesn't somebody read from verse 9 to... 14. Somebody want to do that? An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared to, with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things which they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Just as they had been told. So um, his birth would be heralded to the ordinary. So, true story happened in time and space, history, happened at a hectic time. Government is ruled by God, ruled by Jesus, not by Caesar Augustus, even though he thinks that it is. So, Christmas, Christmas, same, same. Well, um, what about this heralding the gospel, the story of Jesus, the account of Jesus, that Jesus has come, being heralded to the ordinary? Well, that's who he comes to. He comes to the ordinary. The angel comes and tells the story, tells the account, tells what's going on to the shepherds. To the shepherds. A keeper of sheep. The first keeper of sheep in the Bible is uh, Adam's son, Abel. You find it in Genesis chapter 4. In shepherding, here's the, sort of the history of shepherding. Shepherding was the chief occupation of Israelites in the early days of the patriarchs. Shepherds and herds. When you read about the patriarchs, you read they had shepherds, they had flocks, they had herds. Abraham. Um, and as, as things began to change and there began to be cities and crops increase, the cultivation of crops, shepherding falls from being sort of a favored occupation and was assigned to the younger sons. That's why you find David out there with the sheep, because it's given to the younger sons. It's not something that's 
you know, give it to, give it to the kid, you know, let the, let, the, let the kid do it. So it's starting to lose its status. And then it moves to the sons, the younger sons would take care of it, or hirelings, you would hire somebody to go take care of your, your sheep, or you would use slaves. And so that's why you find with David when, uh, when he comes, where, you know, where's anyone else? No one else, you know, just David, he's out there with the sheep. And so when, when Israel goes down into Egypt, the Egyptians, they were like shepherds, you know, like we would gladly welcome your family, but, you know, stay away, the shepherds. So shepherds were not seen as being clean necessarily because they would work with the sheep, they would work with the animals, and they would be ceremonially unclean. But the Bible mentions shepherds over 200 times. And then Jesus comes and says, I am the good shepherd. <laughs> Don't you like that? That, that they're sort of like, occupation. And Jesus comes and says, well, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm a shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. And so in the midst of everyday work lives, the Lord breaks into their lives. It was at work that this happened. And many of us can tell the story of being at work, and somebody at work was telling us about the Lord, somebody was telling us about Jesus, someone at work was inviting us to events, and at work, it's still happening at work. In fact, some of us get in trouble because we're talking about it at work. (laughs) But it still happens right in the midst of the workday, right in the midst of the ordinary, uh, ordinary lives. And it's hard to imagine these guys, these shepherds, They get scared when the angel comes. It's hard for me to imagine what would actually scare these guys because they live underneath the stars 24-7. They're out there in the field. Many times when they're taking these flocks, the way that it would work in the day is you wouldn't have what we have now, fenced off farms and property, and you keep all of your grazing animals within those boundaries. They would just wander. They would just wander through the land. And when there was some place that these sheep could graze, then they'd camp out right there. They'd seen all kinds of things. What, do you, what kind of things do you think they saw at night, these guys? 24-7 out there underneath the stars. Don't you think they saw weird people like walking through sometimes? Like, who is that? What's going on over there? Who is that guy? Who are those people? Are they coming over here? What's going on? Wild animals, you think they saw wild animals? David gives us testimony that, yeah, there were wild animals out there, all kinds of wild animals. Uh, Sounds, you think they ever saw when you're out there, there's no electricity, there's no glaring lights from the car dealers. Don't, Don't you think that when they're out there that they can see the stars and see the heavens and see the sky? Think they ever saw weird stuff in the sky? Probably. You look at the sky long enough, you'll see weird stuff. Like, what's going on? What's going on up there? They, they've seen a lot, and they're, they're courageous. They're bold. They're, they're strong, living in the fields. And yet when the angel comes, when the angel comes, they're frightened. Just can't imagine what would frighten these guys. I said that one year, several years ago about Christmas. I said, I can't imagine what would, what would scare those guys. And, and I told the story of I drove by the the Carpenters Union Hall, and there's all these pickups, uh, pickup trucks that you can't get into. You know, you need a ladder to get into them. You know, the, you know and, and, and I thought, as I saw all of those pickup trucks just lining the road, you know, and they were, some of them were parked halfway on the sidewalk, and 
parked halfway in the grass, and it was around Christmas time, and I was thinking about this and thinking about the shepherds and how Jesus, uh, the angels appear, the angels appear to ordinary people. I thought, you know, what could what could scare those guys? You know, if you went in there, what could, what could scare those guys? What could you do that would scare those guys? And uh, somebody shouted out, "I was there. We'd be afraid if they raised our dues." <laughs> So I guess everybody could be scared. But these guys are scared. They're afraid. Jesus comes to the ordinary. Jesus comes to the ordinary. It says in 1 Corinthians, remember this, dear brothers and sisters, that a few of you were wise in the world's eyes. A few of you. There were a few of you that were wise in the world's eyes. There are some secretaries of state and some presidents and some prime ministers you know, that are believers. The Queen of England was. There were a few of you. There are a few of you that were wise in the world's eye, but not many. Not many were powerful, or not many were wealthy when God called you. Instead, God deliberately chose what the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. He chose those who are powerless to shame the powerful. God chose to despise things of the world, things counted as nothing at all, like the shepherds, and use them and use them to, to show his glory. Amazing. So that no one can boast in the presence of God. The person who wants to boast should boast only in the glory of God. His birth <clears throat> would be accompanied by the supernatural after 400 silent years. I don't know what your Bible looks like. <clears throat> Now, you can't do this if you're on your tablet. But, but my paper Bible, between the Old Testament and New Testament, is a blank page. And what happens on that blank page, right here it says the New Testament, and then there's that blank page. What happens on the blank page between the Old Testament and New Testament, there's 400 years. 400 years. And in those 400 years, not much happens. There's no scripture being written there's no prophets preaching. There's no uh, supernatural activity. The only thing that really happens during that time is the Maccabees brothers. They go and they cleanse the temple, and there's the miracle of the lights, the you know Hanukkah. But other than that, really nothing happens in that 400-year period. They call it the 400 silent years. Nothing going on. Now Jesus is getting ready to come on the scene. He came from heaven to earth. And as he's getting ready to come onto the scene, there is an increase in all kinds of supernatural activity. It's kind of like um, he sent the advance team. Sent the advance team. <clears throat> this happens sometimes around here because you have presidents and vice presidents and you know, secretaries of different departments and well-known politicians will, will come in Christian submarines, or speak to the Coast Guard graduating class. And you can always tell when somebody's coming in, someone big, someone well-known, some president or something, because a couple of days before they're going to speak to the graduating class at the Coast Guard, you start to see cops like everywhere. 
<laughs> and you're like, what's going on? You know, you come off the exit, you know, and there's a cop. You know, you go, oh, that's interesting. I've never seen him there before. And then you go to the next one, and there's a cop there. And you're like, what's going on? Well, the advance team is coming because somebody's coming, and they're going to secure the whole area, and they're going to make sure that everything is okay. Well, Jesus is coming onto the scene, and the advance team is there. There's angels everywhere. There's angels making proclamations. There's all kinds of miracles and supernatural activities. And when he comes onto the scene, that supernatural activity explodes. Explodes. So um, what kind of activity? What kind of supernatural activity? Well, um, angelic activity to, uh, to Mary, uh, to um, Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, to Joseph, to the shepherds, angels coming. And, and an increase of dreams and visions to Joseph, to the, to the Magi. Signs and wonders and miracles. Like what? Like the star of Bethlehem. Just appearing. Where'd that come from? What's going on with that? Like the virgin birth. Like the rapid fulfillment of prophecies. 300 prophecies and now they're starting to happen one after another, after another, after 400 years of silence. Here's a cool one. Is that his birth would be accompanied by singing and proclamation. You know, Christmas is the singingest most time of the year. And there are radio stations that take advantage of that, right? What is it around here? The Christmas station, I think, when did they start? Like in October? 106.5, the Christmas station. <laughs> the singing time. All kinds of songs. <clears throat> all kinds of Christmas songs. All kinds of Christmas carols. All kinds of singing to the Lord. I asked a worship leader one year. <clears throat> it was the week before Christmas. And I said, hey, week before Christmas, um, you, you know, make, sure, make sure you do a Christmas song. And he said, they're all Christmas songs. <laughs> I thought you're absolutely right, right? They're all Christmas songs. They're all about Jesus. They're all because of him. Isn't it amazing the, the songs that have been written about Jesus? It's amazing. You know, Jesus has inspired more songs, more art, more architecture. If you take a trip to Europe and you take a guided trip and you have a guide or you're on a tour, They'll take you to some beautiful architecture. And you know, with the architecture, they've taken you to churches. Taking you to churches, seeing the things that, that, that were built. Architecture, art, music, poems, plays. And, and so much of this music, so much music throughout history, the music that ends up popular music started in the church, started with Christian writers, including rock and roll in America. Started, with, uh, started in the fields, started in the slave fields, started in the cotton fields. And so his, his birth is accompanied by singing and proclamation. Even at the creation, in Job it says, the morning stars sang together and all of the angels shouted for joy. Christmas, the most singing, singing most, how would you say that, singingest, singing most, <laughs> time of the year. Everywhere you go, there is singing. Everywhere you go, people are singing. And we have something to sing about. And then I love that verse, verse 16. His birth was found to be exactly as it was declared. The word of God is forever 
true, forever true. His birth, the word, exactly as declared, exactly as God said that it would be. The fulfillment of the, prom- of the prophecy, God, God tells us the future in advance. That's what prophecy is. He's telling us the future in advance. What did he tell us? Well, in the book of Genesis, right in the beginning, he told us that he would be born of a woman. In Genesis, he told us that he would come from the tribe of Judah. In Isaiah, he tells us that he would be born of a virgin. In Malachi, he tells us that he would have a forerunner, John the Baptist, where if we would have read the chapter before, we would have seen that. We find Isaiah said that his name would be called Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh. Numbers tells us that he would be in Egypt for a little while, and he went to Egypt for a little while. Uh, Isaiah told us that he would heal many. I'm a living testimony of that. He's healed me. Psalm 8 says that he'd be praised by little children. Well, that happened, and the Pharisees tried to tell the children to shut up. Isaiah told us that he would be gentle with the Gentiles. Zechariah tells us he would be betrayed by 30 pieces of silver. And so his, his birth was proclaimed and will continue to be proclaimed until he comes. Until he comes. The word Advent, um, we should... Uh, <clears throat> the word Advent means appearing, coming, and churches over the centuries have around this time of year celebrated Advent, where they start to talk about Jesus and the appearing of Jesus and the coming of Jesus. <clears throat> Certainly he came the first time, he'll also come a second time, the second coming of Jesus. And an awful lot of... Uh, Some of the Christmas songs are talking about the second coming of Jesus. Joy to the world is about the second coming of Jesus. If if you read Psalm 98, it's talking about let heaven and earth, right, proclaim, you know, together the earth and heavens joining together, him ruling and reigning forever, him coming back and making everything right, the coming of the Lord. And so His birth and his life will continue to be proclaimed, and we're proclaiming it today, that Jesus came according to the Scriptures, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again from the grave, and that he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. Let's look at this question, and then we can close. So how about if we have our worship team come up, and we'll close with something. What if Jesus had never been born? What if it never happened? What would the world be like? Even culturally, what would the world be like? So much culture has been built around Christianity, has been built around the church. The world would be a completely different place. <clears throat> the whole idea of human rights you know, comes, from, comes from the Christian church, comes from the Bible, that every person has value. Every person has value by virtue of the fact that they're human beings. So culture would change. But spiritually, what, what would it mean? If Jesus had never been born, there'd be no salvation from sin. There'd be no salvation from sin. There'd be no way to deal with our sin. You would just die in your sin. You'd be born, you'd sin, you'd die. If Jesus had never been born, there'd be no victory over death. There'd be no hope for afterlife. There'd be no hope for a world to come. This, this, is, this is all there is. If Jesus had never been born, there would be no mediator between God and people. Aren't you glad Jesus was born? Aren't you glad he came? Aren't you glad it's Christmas? 
We bow down before him. And he continues to amaze us. Mary pondered these things and held on to these things. Being in his presence always brings rejoicing. So, um, God, here we are. <clears throat> here we are, another Christmas. You coming to us. And Lord, there's another coming in between there, isn't there? The first coming and the second coming. When you told us that you wouldn't leave us alone, but you would send the comforter, you would send the paraclete, the one who would come alongside of us and live in us and dwell in us. And Lord, on the day of Pentecost, you sent the Holy Spirit. And so Lord, even now, may your spirit work in our lives. Live in us, Lord Jesus. Grow in us. So I don't know where you're at with Jesus. You know, but this is a time of giving, season of giving, giving of gifts. It's amazing that that's a tradition, the giving of gifts. Because what better gift is there than the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord? Giving of gifts. Whose idea was that? <clears throat> so maybe this Christmas you want to give yourself the gift of eternal life by accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. It says, as many as received him, he gave the power to become the children of God. So Lord, we open up our hearts, we open up our lives to you. <clears throat> Who came, the first coming, to die for us. Cleanse us from our sins. Reconcile us to God. We receive you. If you've never done that, just pray that. Lord, I receive you. I make you Lord. I make you Savior. And then, Lord, you came. You wouldn't leave us as orphans. You poured out your Holy Spirit. And your Spirit's working in our lives. And, Lord, you will come again. You'll come to judge the living and the dead and to make everything right. All things will be reconciled unto you, joy to the world. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord give you peace and grace. Amen. Let's stand.